All right, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 25. Getting close to the end of our series, just walking through Psalm 25, which is a searching, really. In Psalm 25, David is searching and finding the grace of God in the midst of darkness and trouble. And so with David, we are doing the same. In the midst of challenging days, dark days, scary sort of circumstances, we are searching for and finding the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Today, we're looking at Psalm 25, verses 12 through 15. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. His eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It reveals, it corrects, it teaches, it instructs, and it and it builds us up, Lord, would you teach us today? Would you show us what it means to fear you? And in that, to find great help and comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. It is spooky season, which I like. I like spooky season. Some Christians don't like spooky season. They don't like to talk about it. Like to, they like to pretend that they don't celebrate it by dressing up as different characters than the rest of the world. But I, I like spooky season, um, kind of like I like Christmas. I like Christmas because it's about Jesus, but I also like Christmas because it's about Bing Crosby and a Christmas story. Um, there are different reasons to like holidays, right? And even a worldly holiday like Halloween, which by and large is celebrated in our culture with uh, spookiness, spooky stories. And it makes sense that I would like it because if you know me, you know I grew up always liking spooky stories, scary stories. My very first book ever was Universal Monsters. This is a little classic thing. Thing. And uh, I just, I've always been drawn to that. And th for the same reason that people that like scary stuff like scary stuff, the reason people like spooky stories is because it allows us to experience a controlled fear. A fear that we know has a definite end. A fear without any real stakes. And that's very different from the fear that we experience in the world because when you are afraid in the world, there are real things to fear and there may not be any definite end to the things that haunt us or frighten us. So we like the stories. But in life, when things are chaotic, when things are dangerous, when things are out of our control, we are oftentimes Afraid, And how do we respond? What do we do? When we're afraid, we, we freeze, right? It's usually the first thing that happens. When you're afraid, everything stops. Like it's, just, it's just automatic. If I'm, in the, if I'm in our garage, when it's cold like now it is, and I put the heater on, uh, it usually invites big spiders to join me, which I am genuinely illogically afraid of. I am terrified of spiders. And so like I, like, I gotta get out of there if there's spiders in there. And uh, so it's like, uh, it, I, when I see one, I freeze. Like, like, oh my goodness, right? And it takes me a minute to figure out how do I get out of here without that thing killing me? Because I, I don't know how to navigate around them. We freeze. You know what else happens when you're afraid, when you're actually truly afraid? 
you lose joy. I mean, you're not happy. There's no happiness when you're afraid. It's gone. You also lose perspective, i.e., spiders in the garage. They're not going to kill me. Like, I actually know this. They're not going to kill me. But I'm, I feel like they're going to kill me or suck the soul out of my body. I, I don't know what kind of satanic powers they have, but I am irrationally afraid of spiders. If there's a spider on the floor, I might be able to kill, kill it. Um, if it's on the wall, I need my family to rescue me. I can't, I can't deal with it. So, like, if my perspective is wrong. Like, I know the facts, but my perspective, things get skewed. And when we're afraid, our perspective on what is real and what is good even can get warped. And chaos creates fear. Dark days, troubling days, circumstances beyond our control, it creates fear. And how do we respond? How should we respond? How, how can we properly deal with fear in our lives? Because fear is a normal response to danger. How should we respond? And my simple answer is we respond by choosing a better fear. We respond to worldly fear by choosing to fear the Lord. In fact, I want to put a finer point on this for us, so here's the principle for today. The main thing that ties this, this whole thing together. Fearing God, and we haven't even defined it yet, but we will. Fearing God helps us in dark days by clarifying our purpose and our perspective. Whatever the fear of the Lord is, and we have to define it, it really helps us in the days of chaos and the days of trouble by clarifying our purpose and our perspective. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to define, I'm going to get to it, but I'm going to ultimately define what it means to fear God. And I'm going to do it in a way that you haven't heard before. It is still very much in line with what you have heard before, but I'm going to define it carefully and in a particular way. Then we're going to talk about this, this idea of what it means uh, for our purpose and perspective to be clarified. So we're going to define our terms. Then we're going to talk about what it means that the fear of the Lord clarifies our purpose and then clarifies our perspective. So first, defining our terms. And again, I mean, this is at the heart of the verses that we're looking at. Right in verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? Who is the one who actually has a proper fear of God? Because whoever that is, that is the person who is instructed by God, led by God, guided by God, guarded by God. This is the one who will abide in well-being. They'll be supported. Uh, they will flourish ultimately. He is friends with God. So what are we talking about? It's, probably, it's helpful to look at some key passages, right? So let me, give you, let me give you three key passages to keep in mind. One would be Psalm 111.10. And this is the same, similar idea as repeated in Proverbs, like Proverbs 1.7. But uh, Psalm 111, verse 10, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Great verse to start with. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we haven't defined it yet, but whatever the fear of the Lord is, it's stage one. It's starting point. It's the beginning. 
Proverbs says it's the beginning of knowledge. It also says it's the beginning of wisdom. And this is good because when we're going through difficult times, when we're going through these dark days, like we need wisdom, right? We're looking for answers. And so what we do is we look for very specific answers to very specific questions. But the best thing that we really should do is what we don't think to do, which is, hang on, I've got questions. Let me fear the Lord. We don't think that because how is that going to address my question or my problem? But the one who fears the Lord gains wisdom, gains knowledge. When we're afraid, there's usually a degree of ignorance involved, right? But if we fear the Lord, we gain knowledge. And by the way, just as a reference point to just to consider this, because some of us think like, well, you either fear the Lord or you don't. But what it says is all those who practice it have a good understanding. So there's, again, understanding comes from those who fear the Lord. But understanding comes from practicing the fear of the Lord. You actually have to work at it. You don't get to flip a switch and all of a sudden like, hey, I fear the Lord now. All is good. We learn it. We fear the Lord in part, but it grows just like faith. It's an aspect of faith, really. And so it can grow. It can strengthen. And we need to develop it. We need to practice it. Those who practice the fear of the Lord gain understanding. They gain wisdom. So it's, it's the beginning. We start here. Or listen to Ecclesiastes 12, 13. It's the last couple of verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. When the preacher gets, and that's his name, when the preacher gets to the end of the book, and he's been talking about the difficulties of living life in a world where there is so much chaos, and it can seem like vanity, it can seem like trying to chase after and catch the wind. He says, in the end, it only works. It only makes sense if you fear God. It is your essential duty. It's not an option. It's something that God calls us to do. So whatever this is, fearing the Lord, it's something God calls us to do. It's something that will grant us wisdom and knowledge. But also listen to Proverbs 14.27. This is important. Proverbs 14.27, it says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. This is so good because, again, when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, it has the word fear in it. And we have a particular understanding of fear, usually, right? And uh, boogeyman, monsters, spiders, like we think like, ooh, bad things. So we're already going to struggle with this concept of what it means to fear God. It sounds like an oppressive thing. It sounds like a heavy thing. And the Bible says, no, 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 it's a fountain of life. It gives you life. It brings light into your life. It will help you. It will answer questions. It will give you wisdom. It will make you strong. We think fear, I'm oppressed and I'm getting crushed. But no, the fear of the Lord is different. It's enlightenment and flourishing. And as you're looking at these passages in Psalm 25, you're, you're beginning to see everything the Bible says about fearing God. Two principles emerge that are really important. You can't fear God unless you get a grasp a growing grasp on these principles, um, these concepts. And that is the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self. See, to properly fear God means you have a proper, if limited, 
A proper understanding of who God is and a proper understanding of who you are. In fact, this is the beginning of theology, right? In fact, John Calvin in the Institutes of the Christian Religion, very early on, he explains, like, listen, to get started, really, the beginning of theology is to, is to ask the questions, who is God and who am I? And the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self, that's what we're trying to really understand. And they're so connected, it's hard to know which one to even start with, said Calvin. Fearing God requires that we have an understanding of who God is in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, and a sense of who we are, who am I, made in God's image, made for his glory and pleasure. And this can only come from scripture. You can't intuit all of this. So, in light of all of this, how are we going to define Fearing God, we're going to define it like this. To fear God is to be captivated by his holiness as we submit to his rule and rest in his love. All three components are very important to our understanding of fearing God because it creates balance and fullness. Because what I usually hear is, well, to fear the Lord is to have a sense of awe. Cool, three letters, that's what you're giving me. This, cons, this complex, big concept, fearing the Lord, it's just awe. All right, well, that's true. It is awe, but it's more how does awe ultimately work in us? Well, if we define it this way, it's to be captivated by his holiness. There's that sense of awe. To be captivated by his holiness, his otherness, his transcendence, his bigness, his greatness, he's perfect and beautiful. We're captivated by his holiness. Therefore, We submit to his rule, his rule in terms of what he calls us to do and his rule providentially over our lives. We submit to God and his plan and his ways. All while we rest in his love, knowing that his rule over our lives comes to us as a father loves a child. And if this is still problematic for you, a theologians, this is, this is not from me, this is a lot of theologians have broken it down this way. Theologians said, look, when you're talking about fear or fearing someone, there are two kinds of fears, right? There's a servile fear and a, fil- a, a filial fear. Uh, old words, right, that basically mean a servile fear is a certain kind of fear. It's anxious dread of danger or cruelty, right? So we all know what that is. Anxious dread over danger um, it, could be, it could be anything, right? It could be something real. It could even be something imagined. But it's, an, it's anxiety, it's dread over danger or cruelty. And that's easy, right? You, the bully in school, right? You go through school with this constant state of anxiety because you know like he's going to pop around the corner and do something to you or embarrass you or you have the boss or the coworker who's just awful and they're constantly like, going against you. That's a servile fear. It's, I call it a flinching fear. Right, because like you're 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 so afraid that you're you're a little like whoa. The next thing that's happened is everything that's happening or coming at you. It makes you flinch as if it is danger, dangerous or, or, or cruel. You know when I it, listen, I can make my kids flinch by scaring them or doing, but like I don't hit them, so they don't think any any real danger is coming when I start doing my fake karate. They start doing my stuff at them. They're not like they're not really thinking they're in danger. They're not going to flinch because they they don't fear me in that way. But there is a a filial kind of a fear. 
And this is, yes, an awe and a respect and a trust. That's a really important component, right? It's awe and respect and trust like a child would have for a parent, but it's grounded in love and it recognizes authority. That's the kind of fear we're talking about. To fear God is to recognize his authority and to understand that who he is and how he relates to us is grounded in his love for us. And so, yes, there's awe and respect and trust. And there are two ways in which God helps us through this fear. So let me go back to this idea. Like, uh, So what does it mean to fear the Lord? We've all heard it, right? It means to be in awe of God, which is true. It's a good word. I've said it. I will continue to say it. I've said it today. But it needs more explanation than that. How does being in awe of God help me? What is, he, what is happening? And so people will say things like, well, the more you fear God, the less you fear the world. And they oftentimes say it very, they'll say it like this. The one who fears the Lord has nothing to fear in the world. And that is a platitude. It's not altogether false, but it doesn't really sell the whole picture. You know, people say like the Bible, the Bible, 365 times the Bible says, fear not in one way or another. That is not true. Preachers say it all the time. Don't listen to preachers when they're making stuff up. You can just fact check. Here's the truth. By way of implication and statement, it probably says it more times than that. Why? Because fear is an ongoing aspect of life in a broken, fallen world. We will be afraid. You will be afraid. The question is, is how do we deal with it? And it isn't by manning up or stepping up or anything like that. The answer comes in fearing God, a different kind of fear, not just a different kind of object. So there are two ways that God helps us, right? Because it's true, the, the, the principle is true. The fear of the Lord will diminish our fears in the world. It's true. But that's a consequence of something else that the fear of the Lord is fundamentally doing. And what the fear of the Lord is fundamentally doing is clarifying our purpose and our perspective. Purpose and perspective. So first, clarifying your purpose. When you are in the midst of chaos, dark days, the valley of the shadow of death, we wind up asking questions. We've already covered this. Questions are natural and inappropriate. And when we ask a lot of questions, right, the likelihood of our answers coming to us quickly and clearly decrease, right? The more questions you ask, the more likely some of them aren't going to get answered. We have a lot of questions, and a lot of them aren't going to get answered. But some are. Some will be answered, specifically as it relates to purpose, the questions that we ask, right? When you're going through difficulties what, and you're, you're afflicted and you're scared, you're like, why am I here? Why am I here, Lord? Why am I in this situation? Or why am I in this context? Or why? The, the, the question is, is like, what is my purpose? Now, especially in our tradition, we know the default answer, right? It is to glorify God. I am where I am to glorify God. The problem is we usually stop there. We just think like, oh, my purpose and my chief, man's chief end, my purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if we just make the statement and just hold on to it at a, at a very superficial level, it doesn't do us much good. It's fundamental. I have to know what my purpose is. My purpose is, like, why am I here? It is to glorify God. We've got to ask that in our specific environments. Why am I here? 
why am I here at 51, right? Like, you, you, you think like, oh, I'm going to grow up and I won't be afraid anymore. When you're a little kid, you think, I won't, I'm going to grow up. I won't be afraid anymore. And what we really need to do is we need to remind our kids that, like, look, we need to teach them a lot of things. And the world is beautiful and amazing and all of this, but we also need to tell our kids, kids, life can be scary. Hold my hand. Let's go. Because it is. It doesn't get less scary as you get older. Just different things will scare us. You think, I'm going to grow up and I won't be afraid anymore. And then you're an adult and you're like, uh-oh. And then you're a grandparent and you're like, wait a minute. There are more things that can cause fear. Understanding our purpose, asking, well, why am I here now? Here now, my fundamental purpose is to glorify God. So we, we, we should be able to grab that. But then there are follow-up questions like, all right, so what am I called to be? If I'm here to glorify God, then what am I called to be? Figure out, we have to clarify, articulate, write it down, be convinced of it. What are you called to be? If you're a Christian, you know that much. I'm called to be a Christian here and now in my circumstance. What does it mean to follow Christ here and now? I'm called to be a Christian. Some of you are called to be single, at least for a time. Some of you are called to be married. Some of you are called to have kids. Some of you are called to be children, right? Called to be siblings, called to be students, called to be employees, right? You, you can clarify, and that helps again. Wow, what am I called to be? The very things that God has put in your life, you are for now at least called to be that and Christian on all of it. And what am I called to do? Like these are, these are purpose questions. What am I called to do? Let me say it this way. Big picture, you're called to love, right? The Bible makes this point again and again, Old Testament, New Testament. You're supposed to love God and love others. You're supposed to love your brothers and your sisters. You're supposed to love the strangers, your neighbors, people that aren't like you, people that don't like you. You're supposed to love your enemies. God, what am I called to do? Glorify you right here in my calling right now. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to love my enemies. I'm supposed to love people that don't like me, I'm supposed to love atheists, people that are different from us, agnostics, I'm, I'm supposed to love Muslims, yes, racists, yes, we're supposed to love all of these people, and specifically, God, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'm supposed to obey the Lord wherever I am at. That's a part of submitting to his rule. See, when you fear God, your, your purpose is clarified. And knowing your purpose gives meaning. Meaning. Look, you may never know why something is happening to you. Most of the things, God doesn't tell us. He just does. Ask Job. Job was ignorant of what was going on behind the scenes. What he did know is that God is good and he is to be trusted. You're oftentimes not going to know why God is doing what he's doing in your life or what he's allowing to happen in your life. But knowing your purpose means you can know what you're supposed to do. You can at least know your purpose in that circumstance to glorify God, to worship him, to to submit to him. And that makes a difference. Don't always know why this is happening to you, but you do know your purpose in it. 
Your purpose gives meaning. So clarify your purpose. That's what the fear of the Lord does. It clarifies your purpose in all things. Secondly, it clarifies your perspective, right? This gets warped when we are afraid. Perspective gets warped in the chaos. It's harder to see and make sense of things. I mean, look, it's easy to think of God as benevolent and kind when your belly is full and the sun's shining on you and your favorite TV show is on, you know, and there are no spiders in the garage. Like, it's an easy day. You're like, this is a God is good. Right? And that's how we usually talk about it. Uh, I'm so blessed because, you know, I, I got the job. Or like, you know, hey, we paid off the credit card. God is good. And then when times are bad, then what's, what might be the implication if that's how we think? God's not so good. It's cold and hard and dark and rainy and I, I'm hungry and the bills are piling up. See, the fear of the Lord clarifies your perspective. Your perspective, how you see things, Right? Again, you see how I'm afraid of spiders. I know I keep going to that because it's the main thing. I'd rather fight all of you at once, knowing I will lose and be dead, than, than have to handle a spider with my hands. It's not going to happen. That's irrational. It doesn't make sense. How do I see reality? How do we see things? How do we see God in our circumstance? Not just like, how do I see God? And then you give the, the answer, the Sunday school answer, the, the small group answer, the expected Redeemer Fellowship answer. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power. Okay, that's good. Okay, but how do you see God in your circumstances? Be honest. The fear of the Lord sharpens that perspective. How do I see God? How do I see myself? Sometimes we're filled with pride and arrogance and we think we're better than everybody else, but I find that most of the people that I know wind up thinking too lowly about themselves, that I'm worthless and I'm scum and I deserve all the bad things that are happening to me in this life. How do you see God? How do you see yourself? How do you see others? How do you see your life? How do you see suffering? How do you see the world? The fear of the Lord, it sharpens. It clarifies how we see things. We're captured, captivated by his holiness and we submit to his rule and we rest in his love. If you just go back to, to Psalm 25 and, and verse 12, right, again, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. God guides, gives perspective. A clear perspective, let me say it like this. If, um, if clarifying your purpose gives meaning then clarifying your perspective gives wisdom. You know God, you know yourself, that grounds you in the whirlwind so that you see things rightly and can make better decisions. Oh, so he instructs us, he teaches us. Fearing God helps us in dark days by clarifying our purpose and our perspective. So let me give you one final passage that I think helps us to embrace this even further. Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. Here Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And are not two sparrows sold for a penny. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. This is like the golden passage for me on fearing the Lord, because here we have it all. First, we have the recognition that, that there, are, there is a worldly fear and a godly fear. 
And the worldly fears are like those who can destroy the body, right? Those who can afflict you, those things, not just people, those things that can afflict you, harm you, ruin you. They can be people. You can have enemies, and sometimes you'll have enemies. Sometimes it's just suffering. It can be disease. It can just be circumstances or situations. Do not be afraid of those things. That can do real harm. It's not because they can't do harm. They can wreck you. They can wreck your life. And yet, Jesus says, don't don't be afraid of those. Instead, fear God. Fear the one who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. But he doesn't stop there. What does he ground this admonition for us to fear God in? He grounds it in love, in God's care. He says, because... Not a sparrow can fall to the ground without the knowledge of God, without God being all over that. God knows every detail of your life. And you are more valuable to him than sparrows. He relates to us as father. He is our God and we are his people. We fear him, right? We are awed by him. We submit to him because we know that he loves us. We are sure of this. So yeah, the fear of the God diminishes a fear of the world. It does this by making you stronger, not your problems smaller. You understand that, right? You will. Your problems don't have to get smaller, and they oftentimes won't get smaller. I mean, there'll be seasons in life where they're small and seasons in life where they're big. But the fear of the Lord strengthens you. It makes your faith bigger, not your problems smaller. It makes makes your amazement of God deeper. It, it, It intensifies your trust. And it's and it's more than that. It's the fear of the Lord, yes, it it strengthens you. It makes you stronger. But, it, but the fear of the Lord makes you. It makes you. It defines you. It is the mark of faith. It is the mark of the believer, the child of God. Now, it's not, our, it's not a perfect, full, developed attribute of, of any believer but it's a part of your faith. If you're a believer, it is there. It needs to be practiced. It needs to be cultivated. You need to grow in this. So to encourage you, um, church, fear the Lord. Let's encourage each other to fear the Lord because he is for you. He will help you. So let's appropriately fear him. Christian, Fear the Lord because he loves you. He is a fountain of life for you. You can trust him. Guess what I'm going to tell you if you're not a believer? Any guesses? Fear the Lord. Because though he can condemn you for your sins, he offers you mercy and grace and forgiveness Jesus is the one saying this in Matthew 10, right? Don't fear what can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill body and soul. And consider his love and care for you. 
His love and care is most cleanly seen, most purely seen in Jesus himself, who has come to what? To take our burdens and our guilt upon himself, to make full satisfaction for them, to take away our guilt before God and to give us his righteousness. Jesus died to rescue us from that fear of God that is a fear of danger, that we might have a fear of God that is a filial fear. It's awe and respect and submission and joy. He is holy and will judge the wicked, but he is loving and will forgive all who come to him through faith in Christ. My prayer for us is that we would be a people who fear God, not in a cliche sense that we're afraid of any misstep in our lives, but that we will be a people who fear God. Therefore, we live circumspectly. We live carefully, but we live joyfully and in great freedom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we trust that you will continue to teach us beyond our time here, because Lord, we know that We need to read your word, we need to hear your word, but we need to reflect and meditate on your word. And so we trust, God, that you will continue to feed our souls today, that we would be a people who fear you soberly, but joyfully. In Christ's name we pray, amen.